gospel of John. So, I've entitled this message, Preaching the Gospel. Preaching the Gospel. I didn't write it in my notes. I started to read it in the call to worship, but I changed my mind. That's why I read uh, Matthew chapter 28. But Paul said this to those at Corinth. In First Corinthians chapter, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse seventeen. He said, For God sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It, what? The preaching of the gospel is the power of God. I always think about Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's a lot of things to be ashamed of. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? For it, the gospel of Christ, is the power. And I've told you this for decades now. That word power there is the word that we get our English word dynamite from. It's dunamis. And it means that which is powerful. It's, it's explosive. It moves things. The gospel is the power of God under salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is it so powerful? For therein, in the gospel, here's why it's so powerful. The righteousness of God revealed. From faith, this book, to God-given faith, as it's written, the just, the righteous, live what? By faith in that righteousness. That's our one goal. That's our one design. That's our one desire every time that we stand up here to preach. I had an article sent to me by a dear brother in Christ. Uh, was here not too long ago, Mike Turner, Michael Turner. And he had read an article by one of the more famous Reformed preachers of a couple hundred years ago, a hundred years ago or more, and he attacked one of my favorite authors, Robert Hawker. And and he did it in a section section of lectures to his students. And he said that the problem with Robert Hawker is Robert Hawker saw Christ everywhere. And I'm like, is that a bad thing? He said he finds him in every psalm. Well, isn't what our Lord, isn't what our Lord, he opened their understandings and taught them all things from the psalms, Moses and the psalms, and in the prophets concerning who? Those aren't, yeah, those things, those Old Testament books aren't lessons for morality and sincerity. Pointed them where? To the Messiah that was coming. We look back at it and what do we see? That one they pointed to, he's here. He's did the work. He accomplished salvation. He returned to glory. Our Lord Jesus Christ's final command to his apostles, which in turn is his command to all those that make up his true church in every generation. You know what it is? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Listen to this. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. 
How much of the world? All the world. And I tell you what, those men did. All the world that they existed in, they went everywhere, did they not? Preaching Christ. Telling men and women, using the Old Testament scriptures to preach out the one who had actually come in fulfillment of all of it. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, baptized, shall be saved. And he that believeth not, shall be damned. Pretty simplistic. They had a one-fold goal. What? Preach the gospel. Paul said this, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think one of the greatest tragedies uh, that exists is to see men who claim to be called of God and have taken upon themselves the role or office of a pastor stand before a group of people and preach what they consider to be a gospel message and never direct men to Christ. I listened to one this last week. It was an hour and four minutes long. I got through the first 28 minutes of it, and I told Kenny sent me the link to it and said, listen to this, and I tried to listen to it. After 20 minutes is all I could take. I told him, do I have to listen to all of it? He said, it's, it's like that the whole time. The 25 minutes I listened to was all philosophy. No mention of Christ. Actually, went so far as to say that we don't need to find him. Kind of like this man accused Mr. Hawker of finding Christ everywhere. He said, we don't have to see Christ in everything. Though he's really there, we don't have to see. If he's not, if, if, if that's not what's declared, if I don't stand up here today and I don't tell you what this person actually accomplished, I've not preached the gospel. I've just given you a lecture. And I tell you, if you go back and you search the four gospels, or if you study the rest of the scriptures and the rest of the New Testament, you know, you won't find any instructions anywhere throughout God's Word in any way, shape, form, or fashion that believers are appointed to go out into this world and share their testimony with anybody. Religious people, oh no, we're supposed to share our... No, we're to do what? Preach the gospel. It's a big deal of difference, hang on. One of the things I've encountered in the years that we've been out on the Internet is a variety of people have written me and they've called me on the phone. And the thing I always find so unusual about all these people that get in touch with me, at some point in time, invariably, all of them, you know what they want to do? They want to share their testimony with me about their conversion experience, about what went on in their lives. And I can honestly say um, they're, they're sincere about it. Now, they are, and you get emotional when they tell you about it. Some of it's almost tragic to hear it. I mean, I, in reality, I don't know what to say sometimes. I mean, I'm, I get to the end, and they're like, they're waiting for you to, it's like, okay, what's your response? And I'm like, I got, in my mind, I'm thinking, I got no response for that. <laughs> I remember I had one guy tell me, he said that it was like, like he, he said he was listening to this great reformed pre preacher over the international radio, and he said it was like God was pushing him through a keyhole, and as he went through the keyhole, as he came out all through the other side, all his sins were popping off of him because they couldn't come through the keyhole with him. 
And he got done, and he got, there was a dead silence at the end, and I was like, mm-hmm. I got nothing for that. Now, I don't know about you, ain't nothing popped off of me. Now, I don't mean that facetiously or in hilarity, but that's, I, I, tell, I know that in me dwells no good thing. I'm not a better man. I'm not a better husband. I'm not a better father. I still have problems with my temper and my temperament. And every, every one of them, it's always the same thing. They used to be bad people. Now they're good people. They used to be drunks or liars or thieves or, or murderers. I know you not take it back. I ain't never had a murderer call me up. <laughs> or they committed adultery. You know, didn't attend church, didn't have anything to do with religion. And now what I, they tell you, I'm still a sinner. But they're not bad kinds of sinners. They're better. They quit drinking, they quit smoking, they quit lying, they quit cheating, they quit womanizing. Now they attend church regularly and now they read their Bible all the time. You know anybody like that? Have any family members like that? Any friends like that? Any enemies like that? Or if they don't tell you about those kind of things, they go on and on and on about some experience that they had or something that they felt under what was in fact nothing more than just natural conscience conviction. We feel feel guilty about things, especially when we're confronted with them. And see, here's the thing. Before the Lord opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, we thought and said the same exact thing. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why in the world do you boast as if you didn't receive it? We were all there. Every one of us been there, done that. All of us. The ones that were with us back out at Heiko, I think that'd be Buddy and Sally and Matt and Kim. They, Matt, Matt, Matt would have been little then and my wife. If you'll think back with me, back to that time, you remember when instead of preaching on a Sunday night sometimes, I'd, we'd, we'd bring, we had a microphone that we'd bring out here and we'd set it up at the front. We'd turn the lights down low in the church and people would come up and they'd test, give their testimony or testify. Here's the problem with that. It was their testimony. That's all it was. It was their testimony, not the testimony of our Lord. You listen to me carefully. That's not what our Lord commanded his church to do when he gave that instruction in Matthew chapter 28 or in Mark chapter 7, 19. I think it's Mark 19. No, Mark 16. Paul said, And I, brethren, When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. You see that? Let me give my testimony. Paul said, he didn't talk about himself. He said, let me give you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the thing I find so interesting about that, that word translated testimony, you know what it means in the original language? Witness. It means witness. John used the same word. And there are three 
that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive, here's the same word, the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He hath testified. Same word translated witness. Same word translated testimony. Paul said, I determined to give you what? The testimony of our God. He that believeth on the Son hath of God hath the witness, the testimony in himself. And he that believeth not God had made him a liar because he believeth not. Translated here, the record. Same word. The testimony that God gave of his son. And this is the testimony. This is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is only found one place. It's in the son. And that's what Paul said. I'm declaring unto you the record of God. That God has given eternal life to his so if sharing our testimony isn't preaching the gospel, what, what's the responsibility for those who have been brought to true faith and true repentance? What's our responsibility as justified saints when it comes to preaching the gospel? Well, I know this much. We've already seen that Paul, Paul's words to Corinth, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here in our text that we're going to look at this morning here in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul's words exemplified. I determined not to know among, anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In this man Philip's encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 26 of our text. Did I say Romans 9? Acts, Acts 8. I said Acts 8. Did I say 9? Okay. Okay. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto, a, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is a desert. There are no accidents. Let me start off right here. There are no accidents when it comes to the salvation of God's children. I tell you what, if there is an elect sinner, there is an appointed time where God, by his grace, will bring his child, his elect, under the sound of his message. An exact time. And here in this verse, we're taught an important lesson. And here's the lesson. First of all, I know this much. I know God no longer talked with an audible voice like he did back then. It says here the Lord spake to Philip and told him, you go down now toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza and go out to a desert. Now, he's been in Jerusalem where there's a what the world would call a revival. The Lord saved 3,000, then 5,000, then upward of 15,000. They've put everything together, have all things in common. They're going from house to house, breaking bread, preaching the gospel, and the Lord's adding to the church daily such as should be saved. It's a miraculous thing. God tells this man who was a deacon there, get up and go where? Go out in the desert. Go out into the desert. 
But here's the thing. Even though God no longer, how do we know God doesn't speak anymore? God who had sundry times, Paul wrote in Hebrew, God who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us how? By his Son. How does the Son speak to us? In the beginning was the Word. Everything Christ has to say to you and me, where is it at? It's in this book. It's in these words. But here's the thing. Even though we don't hear audible voices anymore, we can glean from his words that when it comes to how we are to go forth with the gospel, we should and we must be led by and sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership. When Philip went out into this desert, he was going out to start a Thursday night visitation program. That's not what he was doing. God didn't direct Philip to a village. He didn't send him to a metropolis. He didn't even send him to a congregation. He sends him where? Sends him out into a desert. But folks, even in a desert, what's there? What's going to be in that desert? Do you see the mystery of God in this? One of God's chosen sheep in that desert. Remember, remember the parable of the, the shepherd and the sheep? What, the shep, what shepherd, if he loses one sheep, what will he do? He'll leave the 99 and, nine and he'll search diligently till he finds that one sheep. And when he finds him, he finds him. You see that? When he finds him, what does he do? He takes him, puts a rope around his neck, and drags him back. No, he does not. He takes him, picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, and brings him to himself. I want to be very clear here. God's pleased to use means to save his sinners. And that means is the preaching of his gospel. And he sends his people with his gospel to preach to those that are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We too. If we were sheep of the lost, we were children for the, we were lost sheep of the house of, house of Israel. That's hard to say. I know religion thinks it's their responsibility to share the gospel with every single solitary person on the planet, either through their words or through their outward example. And I also know that, that they would consider you and me as not evangelical because we don't follow their formulas. We don't go out on Thursday night and knock on doors. And we don't pass out tracks, and we don't stand out in the street with a billboard thing on our front and our back preaching to men and women about Christ, and we just don't do that. While it's true that, that we all should have a desire to see God's people brought to true faith and true repentance, it's the Lord's will as to who and when we should truly declare the gospel. And I think that's set forth in Acts 16. Let me, let me give you an example here. In Acts 16, you know, Peter, Paul, the same apostle, or, you know, the apostle Paul who said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, he wanted to preach the gospel everywhere. He took Christ's words literally, and he wanted to go to Asia. And he was determined to go to Asia. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia, and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Imagine that. God wants everybody to be saved. 
Paul's willing to go down there and preach the gospel where everybody can be saved, right? No. Paul wants to preach the gospel because God, Paul knows what has God used to call out his people. 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 1, the foolishness of preaching save in the flesh. But the Holy Spirit, he forbade it, wouldn't allow it. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go unto Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Wouldn't let them go. They, they kept, the Spirit forbade them, and what did they do? We're going to go anyhow. And they try to go again, and you know what? He turns them aside. Why? For purposes known only to our God, God didn't want the gospel going to Asia. And yet men think we've got to carry it everywhere. We go as the Lord leads and directs us. And I tell you what, I know from personal experience, you'll know when the Lord's opened the door of opportunity for you to share the gospel of his grace. You'll know when to speak, and you know when to shut up, too. You do. And I tell you much, this much too. You can rest assured if God has an elect sinner that he's determined to bring to a knowledge of the truth, he'll by his spirit bring that sinner into contact with somebody who knows the gospel and can declare it in their hearing. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear except one preach? And how shall they preach? Here we go. Philip, go out into a desert, except they be sin. How beautiful. And I tell you, this is the Ethiopian eunuch knew it. We do too. Aren't you thankful for the person that the Lord was pleased to bring into your presence with this good tidings and good things to come? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Well, look at verse 27 through verse 34. Let's read it together. He arose, didn't, didn't debate, argue, Lord, why? He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for the worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto him, Go near, go near, and join thyself to his chariot. Now, we'll, we'll get to the rest of these verses in just a few minutes, but these verses, verse 27 through 34, show us those we are to approach with the gospel. And I tell you, my attitude toward this has changed tremendously over the last 20 or so years. I used to think that it was my responsibility because I knew and loved the gospel to tell everybody. I was like a bull in a china closet. I'd get around my fem family and my friends, people I encountered at work, and would basically try to force feed them the gospel and would wonder why they'd get angry at me over it. Didn't understand. But then the Lord was pleased to bring this verse to my mind. We read it in the Sunday Bible class hour, but I'll, I'll quote it to you again here. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man. And here's the key, every man that asketh thee a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. You always keep this in mind. 
gospel isn't something mystical. It's not something emotional or ethereal. The gospel call, folks, is a summons of God to his children, not a request that's offered for their acceptance or their rejection. When God's dealing with one of his sheep, and even though they might be entrapped in the darkness of religion or caught up in self-righteousness, he'll graciously and mercifully move in their hearts, directing them to ask a reason of the hope that's in thee. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Hold your place here. Turn over to Acts 16, verse 14. And a certain woman, I always like that when you see those certains in the Scripture, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard, Underline and highlight and put you a note out beside this next part of this verse, whose heart the Lord opened. See, that's the key to the testimony being received. Whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Why Solomon put it like this? A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And we have to be very careful. It's not just anyone that asks this question that we're to tell them of the hope that we have. Not anybody. Peter says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and with fear. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The meekness and fear does not apply to the one that's doing the speaking. The meekness and fear applies to who? The one who's asked the question. Asking about the hope that's in you. If they ask you about your hope with meekness and fear, what? Don't hesitate to tell them. This Ethiopian eunuch is an excellent example of one who asks in meekness and fear. It is. Think about it. He had been down to Jerusalem. What had he been down to Jerusalem for? Tells us. To worship. And yet he's been to Israel, to Jerusalem, been there and worship, got back in the chariot, headed back to Ethiopia, headed across the desert. None the better than he was when he went to Jerusalem to worship. I've had men ignorantly say God can save anybody any way he wants to. I know primitive Baptist thinks that God doesn't use means. If God just wanted to save that Ethiopian eunuch, why do you even have to bring him to Jerusalem? Why couldn't he just zap him down in Ethiopia? But this guy goes, he's following religion. Somehow or another, this guy's got so involved in Judaistic faith, what's he got with him? Folks, they didn't have... Zondervan publication or Kirkbridge to build them a Bible. But this dude's got a scroll with the prophet Isaiah in it, in his possession. And he's riding along reading it. And by a miracle of God's grace, having this scripture in his hands, he's reading a particular part. And we know where he's reading. Where is he reading? He's reading Isaiah 53. 
Turn over there. But having Isaiah 53 in his hand, what? He got no understanding. How many times did you read this book while you were in ignorance and unbelief and none of it made any sense to you? Even when you had accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, how much of it did you just pass over because you're like, I, I don't know. Can't explain that. Got no understanding that. I, did. I know I can't know everything, but I want to know everything, don't you? As a child of God, I don't want to be in ignorance of any truth that's in this book. Not at all. He's like most folks we encounter. They read the scriptures without a clue concerning who they testify of. They're reading it for something. Looking for something to... You know, in my generation, for the last 20 or 30 years, they read it because they're looking for end-time events. I guarantee you it won't be too long that... I saw a deal that I get most of my news from a place called Liberty Daily, and they came out, they, they said it had a big article, a whole article about Taco Bells going all, uh, they're not going to accept money anymore. It's all going to be digital. And they were trying to make it out like that's the mark of the beast. And I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> Yeah, we we you know we, we're looking for the number six 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 in people's head or written on their wrists. It's not that that's not what we're looking for. It's a system. It's a religious system that's dangerous to all men and women without exception. But here's the thing: when God directed His servant Philip to join himself to this elect center, and He moved Philip to ask that Ethiopian eunuch one question. This, asked, this sinner asked one question with meekness and fear. Look at verse 20, starting in verse 27. Turn back over to our text. Look at verse 29, 20, verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him, and he could hear him. God's God reading the prophet Isaiah out loud, riding in a chariot by himself in the desert, reading the Bible out loud. How many of us do that? You think that's by accident? Phil, and I, I, can you get this picture in your mind? A chariot moves pretty good. Now, he might have been at a slow crawl, but here's this prophet of God, this man of God, running alongside this chariot. Listen to him read from the prophet Isaiah, and he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And notice, notice this is the difference. Most people would say, well, yeah, I sure I understand. For pride's sake. He said, how, listen, how can I? How can I accept some man should guide me? See the importance of somebody telling you the truth? How shall they hear except one preach? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scriptures which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his hearers, so opened he not his mouth, taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh this prophet? Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? He's speaking about him. Huh. I, this, this unit wanted to know. 
He really wanted to know. And so he asked, who's this talking about? What does this mean? Can you explain this to me? He's a good, he's a good example of a person asking in meekness and fear. Let me give you another example of one, a good example of one asking in meekness and fear. That Philippian jailer. Now there's an earthquake at night. Paul and Silas are in prison. He's made their, their stocks fast, inflicted pain on them. The earthquake comes. The prison gates are open. He grabs a light and runs in, about to kill himself. Paul says, what? Don't do yourself no harm. We're all here. And he looks at Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't talking about being saved from Rome either. He really wanted to know. And he asked in meekness and fear, so what did Paul do? Paul preached to him. Now, if they don't ask with meekness and fear, you know what you need to do? Keep your mouth shut. Because if they really don't want to know, you know what you got on your hand? An argument, a debate. And what we pray, this testimony of God, it's not up for argument or debate. I've, I've said this for, for years now. A debate, there are two sides to a point. And both sides argue the point, their, their side of the point. And then decide that people decide who won the debate based on who made the best arguments. There's no debate about something that's a fact. That's why we don't argue about it. We just preach it. We declare it. Because we know this, all that are of God, what? They hear God's voice. They hear his word and they come in him. But that brings us down to verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. Same place. In those verses. And what did he preach? He preached Jesus. And that word throws everybody, but he preached Jesus to them. When you said Jesus, what did it mean? Jehovah our salvation. So he preached to this man, Jehovah who is his people's salvation, is what he declared to him. Now, when a sinner asks a question of you with a sincere desire to know, asking in meekness and fear, it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to be ready. To be ready to give them an answer. To be prepared. And Philip was ready. He knew the Lord. The Lord knew him. He knew about God's plan of salvation through and by the promised Messiah. And so he preached to him Christ. The Messiah. Tell what gracious and providential care our Lord showed in having this particular passage of Scripture in front of him for Philip to preach from. Philip didn't testify to this guy of some great change that had happened. Let me tell you about what the Lord's done for me. Look at how I've changed. Let me tell you what I was before and let me tell you what I am now. He didn't talk about the law. Didn't talk about the prophets. He didn't tell this man, you've got to shed tears of remorse for your sins. What did he do? He pointed him to the only place every sinner must be pointed. To the Lord Jesus Christ. His person and his word. 
And I tell you, what was true of Philip's testimony or preaching the gospel should be true of our method of preaching the gospel in every generation. So what is it? We'll close with this this morning. What is it to preach Christ? Do you know? I've had people that have said unto me for years, well, it's just so hard for me to... Let me give you six things real quick. What is it to preach Christ? Here's the first one. It's to declare the necessity of the virgin birth, ensuring that our Lord Jesus Christ had a sinless humanity, that he was that holy thing. You say, well, how did I do that? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. What does it say? Look at it with me now. Look at it, because these, these six things are important. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Who's going to give the sign? The Lord himself. What's the sign? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Secondly, is to declare the fact that Christ was un- made under the law to redeem or to buy back off the marketplace of sin all the objects of his love. How do we tell him that? Here we go, Isaiah 53. Here it is, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What, for his own personal sins? No, for sins he bore in his body as our substitute and representative. Thirdly, to preach the gospel is to declare the necessity of Christ's sinless obedience to every jot and tittle of the law, not for himself, but for every sinner he stood in their place as their substitute and surety. Where do we go for that? Give us some New Testament scripture from that. Where's this dude reading from? Here it is, Isaiah 53, verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge Here we go. Shall my righteous servant, by his and not by the knowledge of this man, my righteous servant, justify many, for he will, but this righteous servant, he will bear the ones he's justified. He bears their iniquity. Fourthly, is to declare how Christ suffered, bled, and died in our stead bearing our sins on his body, in his body on the tree, making perfect and complete satisfaction to God's law and justice. Again, Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The iniquities, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Fifthly, to declare the gospel is to declare how he brought in an everlasting righteousness, actually obtaining our salvation by his obedience unto death. He made his grave, Isaiah 53, verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, 
because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then finally, is to declare how he was raised again for our justification, ascended and taken on his place at the right hand of the majesty on high, and ever living to make intercession for us. Look at verse 12 of Isaiah 53. Therefore, since he did this word, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Why? It was required of those whom he represented. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and listen, he made intercession for the transgressor. You know when our Lord prayed that, when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We know he was praying for a particular group of people because if he was praying for that, that, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If that was meant for every single solitary person on this planet, what would the Father doing? We'd all been forgiven. All men, elect or non-elect. Let me say this and we'll quit. In order to be ready always to faithfully and dogmatically be able to give an answer demands that we study the scriptures diligently and prayerfully asking our God to enable us by his grace to faithfully declare his truth to the ears of any person he's appointed and put in our lives providentially for us to share the gospel. You think about every person you come in contact with crosses your path it's the providence of our God neighbors that we have people I pass on that path out there walking you never know you never know God has a purpose and a plan for all things may we be wise and always alert and listening to his guidance to be ready always to preach the gospel when he providentially provides us an opportunity to share Christ